to welcome you. Glad to be here. Glad to see everyone. Um, I want to go through some announcements that are, I think, important for you to know. If you received our news, weekly newsletter on Sunday, uh, Saturday evenings, you probably are aware of most of these, if not all. So today we are finally having our next steps meet the leaders lunch at noon. Um, I believe we have about 17, 18 people signed up, which is great. Uh, if you didn't sign up and you've never attended one of these and you're fairly new to your congregation, I would I encourage you to, to do so. Just let me know and we'll just have to charge you double and late registration fee. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. We're going to charge for any of that. Uh, but we'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Today at noon here at church. Uh, next uh, Sunday, we're looking forward to Father's Day. We plan on having a combined service at 10 a.m. and um, a breakfast at 9. So if you're interested in helping with the breakfast, uh, let, me, uh, let me know. Let Leanne know. Leanne's in charge, kind of directing that aspect. Uh, so if you have some uh, cooking skills or serving skills or just a great attitude to help and serve, we would invite you to do so for next Sunday for our 9 a.m. breakfast and 10 a.m. combined service in honor of Cross Point Dads. There is a graduation dinner on the 24th at 7 p.m. here at church. Uh, graduates are free, $5 for everybody else. That's just to know who's going to be coming in. Um, and then you should know also, if you have young people here at church, the youth group is going to be going to the Grand Canyon, Lord willing, on July 28th through the 31st. That'll be their summer trip. All right. Uh, so great stuff. Lots more happening, but uh, make sure you're involved and you're plugged in. I think you'll find that God will work in your heart and your life the more you dedicate to following him and community. And if Crosspoint is where God has you, I would say plug in, jump in, and uh, take some steps of faith and see what the Lord has for you here at Crosspoint. Uh, for those joining us online, welcome. We're glad that uh, you're joining us as well. We're going to take communion, and to do so, I'm going to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. Verse 23 is a very well-known verse, and I want to start in verse 20 just to give that some some context. So if you didn't get one of these on your way in, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll have uh, Jason come around and provide you one without a problem. So listen to this, Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, what were you? Paul just told you. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did, did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get to celebrate 
the fact that we've been set free from sin. And beloved, if you're struggling with your identity in Christ and your assurance of salvation, you need to get in the Word. You don't have to ask anybody else if there's teachers, people you respect and that know what they're talking about as far as the Word is concerned. Ask. Ask the questions. But too many times we're unsure of things and we're not digging in. But listen to what this says. It says, we were slaves of sin. Slaves of sin. You know what a slave, one of the characteristics of a slave is they have no choice. You're a slave. You don't even belong to yourself. You were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. You had nothing to do with righteousness. Righteousness was no part of you. You were a slave of sin. And then it says, what fruit did you have then in the things of now of which you are now ashamed? And I think all of us are there, right? You can look back of your pre-Christ life, and there are probably many things for which you are now ashamed. It says, for the end of those things is death. Listen to verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin. And you might be thinking like, no, Mike, I still sin. You have to understand that what Paul is saying here is that we have been set free from the penalty of sin, not the presence of sin. But you'll never pay for the wages of sin, for Christ has already done that for you if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You no longer belong to yourself. Now you belong to him. Now you have your fruit to holiness, and the end is everlasting life. Verse 23, for the payment or the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is what we celebrate here. This is what we remember as you peel back the first layer, you take the, the bread that symbolizes the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming that we have been set free from sin. We belong to God. We are slaves of God by God's grace, by what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And this is symbolic of that. It reminds us of that, and we proclaim it until He comes. Let's take that together. And as you peel back the second layer, you see the Jews that is symbolic of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he shed on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. Let's take that together. If you're able to, why don't you stand? We're going to sing a new hymn today, How Great Thou Art. This hymn comes to us from Sweden. Back in 1885, almost 150 years ago, and Christians have been singing this throughout many generations, and we get to do that now. We're only going to sing two stanzas and the chorus twice, okay? Most of you know it, so let's sing it nice and loud. Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder... Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God His Son not sparing, send Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're grateful for all that you've done and all that you are. For sending your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to take our place at the cross, to take away our sin. We cannot comprehend. We accept by faith and we're grateful I thank you for everybody who's here this morning, for those joining us online. We pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit and through your word, you would minister to us. You would transform us in a way that we would live lives that glorify your holy and worthy name. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may have a seat, beloved. All right. I'm excited to think that, that when we sing these hymns, some of you may have never sung them uh, but now that you know it, next week we're going to have a combined service, and I'm hoping we have a place filled up. We're going to sing it together and sing and lift up our voices and talk about how great God is. So welcome once again. I'm excited to be able to continue the messages based out of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, today we're going to attempt, and we will, Lord willing, finish chapter 6. Next week we'll start chapter 7, and I'm really hoping that you guys are going home and reading through Luke. Maybe you've already read through Luke a couple of times, and then before you come to service, you read chapter 6 just to be ready. I hope you're doing that. I would encourage you to do that. Okay, so when you come to church, you know what we're going to, the portion that we're going to read, discuss, hear about, and, and uh, by God's grace, hopefully you'll be blessed by the message that I bring forth on a Sunday morning. But you would have already been prepared and ready to receive this morning's message is based out of Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 49. So we are being a little ambitious this morning and taking a big chunk. And the title of this morning's message is, Why Do You Call Me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? And if you're familiar with this portion, you know that Jesus, our Lord, said that. And uh, here's what I want to do. Well, the main point is this. We glorify God when we live Christ-like lives, 
which are characterized by obedience. If the main purpose for our existence is to glorify God, we need to realize that we glorify Him when we live Christ-like lives. Because ultimately, beloved, God in His perfect essence, in His holiness, is only pleased really by Himself. Now, we're created in His image. And as Christians, we've been born again. We are new creatures. Now, Christ lives in us, and thus, we are now able to glorify God and please Him through Christ our Lord, who lives in us. That's important to understand. Outside of that, doesn't matter how good you are, how many great things you do, and this, that, and the other. None of that would matter in the presence of a holy and perfect God. We will be like Isaiah at the presence of God and say, I am undone. I don't belong here. It's over for me. But in Christ, we are new creatures, born of God, and so we are now able to glorify God when we live Christ-like lives which are characterized by obedience to him. Keep that in mind. That's our, that's our main point. So what I want to do is I want to go back and read an even larger portion. So in Luke, we have the Sermon of the Mount, which is normally referred to as Sermon of the Mount. And in Luke, we have a, a, a condensed version of it versus Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So I want to go back and read the portion that we read last week and then read everything that we're going to discuss today because essentially that's what our Lord, or this is what <clears throat> Luke chose to write about the Lord's Sermon of the Mount. So I want us to read it from beginning to end according to how Luke has it here written down so that we get the, the whole thing here. And it won't take but a couple of minutes. Keep in mind, the Lord just chose his 12 apostles. He's beginning his ministry in a, in a special way now with his apostles. And he's addressing a big crowd that included his disciples slash apostles, other disciples that were following him, uh, a crowd of people. And, and even within those people, some of those uh, re- religiously self-righteous people as well. So I'm going to read Luke 6, verses 20 through 49. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ Says, It says, Then he, Jesus our Lord, lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed you, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to, their false, to the false prophets." But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to uh, the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful." Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can a blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your, uh, your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things which I say. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose, the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That is Luke's account of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, a very important foundational sermon and teaching by our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, to the crowd, and even the religious self-righteous that were there. Last week, we talked about the difference between Christians and non-Christians, the blessings and the cursings by our Lord. So today, we're going to focus from 27 all the way to the end with three points. We're going to take kind of chunks at a time. And we said that the main point is that we glorify God when we live Christ-like lives characterized by obedience. And here you have the Lord setting the standard for us to live by. And if you're honest and you're paying attention, if you've read this before, I don't know about you, when I read things like this, I'm thinking, who is able to live like this? I mean, he starts off by saying, love your enemies. 
Have you really thought about that? I say this to our shame. It's often hard enough to love people at church. And yet Christ our Lord says, love your enemies. You might say, how? That's impossible. And I would agree with you that humanly speaking, it is impossible to love your enemies. But for born-again believers, for those whom God has taken away their heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, for those of us who have been born of God, and have become new creations, and Christ lives in us, and the Holy Spirit resides in us, loving your enemies would be living a life that is Christ-like. What a high standard. And, and how easy it is to see that if we listen to our Lord's teaching, none of us can boast. None of us can reasonably go around thinking that we're better than anybody else. As Christians, to be proud and arrogant is such an inconsistency, beloved. Christians need to be the most humble people because we realize that outside of Christ, we fall so short to what he expects from us, what he demands from us. So let me get right to it. So this morning, the title is, Why Do You Call Me Lord? And this is quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about what living Christ-like lives means according to him in this portion. So I'm going to get right to it and start. There's going to be three points of how it is that living Christ, what, Christ, what living Christ-like lives means. Point number one. Living Christ-like lives means loving like Christ. Loving like Christ. And we just read the portion, but that point number one covers verses 27 through 38. I'm not going to read the whole thing again because I just read it. And, but I will remind you of Luke, verse, Luke 6, 27, which should be, it says, Luke 6, 27 says, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then the following verses is the Lord kind of expounding on that. What does it mean to love your enemy? And he says, hey, if somebody takes something from you, don't ask for it back. You know, one of the things that humanity, us as humans, dislike, hate, cannot stand, is feeling like we're being treated unjustly unfairly when i was teaching from first grade second grade fifth grade seventh grade those are the grades that I, I taught for 20 years if my students ever felt like i was treating them unfairly i would lose a great deal of respect from them and it would happen every once in a while i would tell someone so hey, hey you need to put your phone away and every once in a while i'll get a kid that would say like wait a minute but you're not telling so-and-so to put their phone away you're not being fair, mister. And all of us have that within us, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of you like being treated unfairly and unjustly. 
most of us fight for that. Like, how dare you treat me like that? Don't you know who I am? Why aren't you treating everybody else like that? Why are you singling me out? And here the Lord comes around and says, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. You ever been spitefully used? Somebody just took advantage of you? All of them are saying like, yeah, and all these names start coming. Uh, be careful. We all have those. We've all been treated unfairly. We've all been done wrong. And here the Lord stands there and has a foundational sermon and teaching says, love your enemies. Beloved, that's why when a wife comes around and says, you know, my husband comes to church, but you should see how he treats me. I'm thinking, that's not right. Then you talk to the husband or vice versa. Like, yeah, but it's because her. Yeah, but he. I'm thinking, have we not read what the Lord says? He says, love your enemies. He also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What are we doing, men? And what are we doing, women? Love. And, and these are not optional. Because the Lord says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? What did I just say? I say, love your enemies. In case you ever think like, well, I would love my wife if she would just be quiet. What are you talking about? If she would just what? You got to keep your mouth shut. You got to take it to the Lord and say, the Lord said to love my enemies. Say you're married to the worst person in the world. You even have an obligation to love that person. Doesn't mean you have to stay with that person. Doesn't mean you get to be abused by that person. That's not what I'm saying. But God says, love your enemies. He didn't bite his tongue. He didn't stutter. And you know why he says that? Because that's exactly what he did. And you have to understand that God didn't just love those enemies. In verse 35 it says, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping nothing in return. And, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he, God, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. And I made a little note on my Bible here. Who is the unthankful and the evil that God is kind and merciful to? And if you don't say me, you're missing the point. And that's why you have a hard time understanding the gospel, the Christian life, and you probably are not living a Christ-like life that brings honor and glory to God. Heavy stuff. But that's the truth. God is merciful and kind to the unthankful and the evil. And that's you, and that's me. And so if he does that for us, he expects us as his children to be like that, to be like him, to be Christ-like. And I hope this knocks us off our horse. It has to. That's what, that's what his intent was. He knew what he was saying, and he knew that everybody that listened to his words, and as soon as he said, love your enemies, 
If they were sincere, they looked at each other and said, what is he talking about? I hate my enemies, and I'm, I'm justified in doing that. If he only knew how that person treated me, if what they said, if what they took from me, I'm justified. But Christ knew exactly what he was saying. He knows the heart of man. He knows your evil heart. He knows my perverse heart. And he says, love your enemies ultimately because if you are my children, and that is my nature, to love the unthankful and the evil. And how will you know that you are my child when there is this not just extraordinary but unhuman love in your heart towards people around you, including your enemies. There will be a point in your life where you will think of the person that hurt you the most and you're going to pray to the Lord that he will have mercy on him. And it doesn't mean you have to be friends. It doesn't mean you have to forgive. But if you haven't experienced that, beloved, you're missing out. You're missing out on the freedom that Christ is offering you. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in regret. You can take all of that, all your cares, and lay them at the cross for he already paid for that, and his blood covers all that. David, I hope you understand that when we come to church, we don't just come to hear stories. This is real life. And to be able to get to the point where we humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, I'm looking at this and I fall short. He's saying, of course you do. I know you do. Everybody does. Let me help you with that. And you're here, so I think you're in the right place. So loving Christ, living Christ-like lives means one loving like Christ. Romans 5, 8, a couple of verses that are super dear to me. Uh, I don't know if any of you think, like, doesn't Mike know any more verses? Like, he's always using the same ones. I do know more verses. But listen to this. What I'm hoping is that you get really familiar with these verses. So when, you, when the Lord wants to use you to talk to someone... Why do you go to church? Why do you care about God? Let me tell you why. Because God demonstrates his love towards me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That's why. Loving like Christ means, as Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love to us and that while we're yet sinners, enemies of his, Christ died for us. And Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified together with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Over and over, we see God's love for the unworthy, for his enemies, for those who were in sinful rebellion against him. And we see his extravagant love for us. And yet, Christ on the Sermon on the Mount says, you are supposed to love like I love. Living Christ-like lives means loving like Christ. Point number two, it also means looking like Christ. Now, I don't mean looking as in, you know, well, what did he wear so I could, 
you know. You start looking at those pictures that over the centuries people tried to depict what Christ looked like. And I don't mean try to look like that. I mean see the way he sees. Verse, this section will cover verses 39 through 45. And in Luke 6, 41 says, the Lord says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye. The Lord is addressing hypocrisy here. He's talking about hypocrisy. Why is he talking about hypocrisy? Because he knows that all of us are prone to being hypocritical. You know, one of the biggest excuses that non-Christians use to why they don't go to church, you probably know this, they will often say, I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Hmm. And it's probably true, except here at Cross Point. The idea that there's hypocrisy within the church is unfortunate because it's often true. And our Lord knew that. And that's why he addresses it here. And he talks about not judging lest you be judged. He talks about not condemning, lest you be condemned. If you pay attention and you just read that, you understand that he's not saying don't judge. He's saying be careful not to create a culture of judging one another, of condemning one another. He says if you, if you get into the habit of just condemning and judging people, you're going to start being condemned and judged, and that's going to create this ugly environment where nobody's going to want to come to church. Well, I'm going to go to church just to see what everybody else is doing and then just go there so that people can judge me and look at me weird. Who wants to go to a place like that? I don't. But then, so he doesn't say don't ever judge because it really, this whole section has to do with judging. Later on he says, a tree is known by its fruit. We're supposed to look at each other's fruit, but importantly, We're supposed to look at our fruit in our lives. Look at the fruit in your life and judge yourself and then compare yourself to what Christ has laid out here in the Sermon of the Mount and and see where you're at. And if you're honest, you're going to realize, I'm way down there. And that's where the humility comes in. And that's a good thing to be humble, to be lowly, because then... You're going to look up to people instead of looking down at them. And so our church should be an environment where, yeah, we take care of each other. We hold each other accountable. But we don't go around just like pointing the finger and especially in a hypocritical way. What does that mean? He says, the Lord says, why do you look at your brother's sawdust, little speck of sawdust in his eye, and then you don't realize you have a, plank uh, a four by four in your eye he's using hyperbole it's kind of exaggerating when people hear that maybe they kind of chuckle like (laughs) that's funny and they're like oh he's talking about us it's not funny he's being mean and so the hypocrisy comes in where if you kind of break it down you're saying why would you try to address your brother's small problem with a specific sin, let's say, when you are not addressing that same specific sin 
but a thousand times worse in your own life. I forget who said it. I think it goes way back. But somebody said, you know, I hate my sin. I detest my sin. I can't stand my sin when I see it in somebody else. And you know, we're more prone to detect our sin when we see it in somebody else. That's why when you, if you go around thinking like, oh, that person is so proud. That person is so arrogant. Oh, that person is so conceited. Really, man, you're so good at detecting that. I wonder why. It's because you're probably like that. And it reminds you, it triggers for your own pride and arrogance and conceitedness. And so the Lord is saying, do not try to address their problem when you have the exact, exact same problem except way worse. But then he says, you, hip, and he says, you hypocrite. Those are strong words. That's, a hypocrite is somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not. And he says, you hypocrite. And then he says, first address your own problem, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, first address your own problem so that then you can address your brother's problem properly. We are supposed to help each other. We are supposed to judge one another's fruit, but not in a condemning way and not comparing to see who has better fruit. Have you seen my fruit? How much juicier and shiny my fruit is? That's not the way to go. And then a thought that kind of came through my week was, throughout the week as I was studying this is, you shall know a tree by its fruit. And, and, and I think automatically for most of us, we're thinking like, yeah, so let me look at all the trees out there. But I think we would do ourselves a favor in the kingdom and the church a favor if we first started with ourselves as a tree, the first tree to look at and look at the fruit that our life is yielding. And if it's not love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, self-control, whoa, I think I need some fertilizer. I think I need a little more water here. Because I'm not seeing the kind of fruit that the Bible says I should be having. Am I loving my enemies? I mean, that could be like the standard for our lives for the rest of our lives, right? How am I doing with loving my enemies? Mm, I'm still at 2%. Five years later, oh, I'm at 3%. But that needs to be, that is the standard. That is what Christ taught. So living Christ-like lives means loving like Christ, looking like Christ, uh, Philippians 2, 4, and 5 says, Let each of you look out, not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look like Christ means you look out not only for your own interests, but you're looking out for the interests of others, because that is what Christ did. Everything he did, he did it for the glory of God, but he did it for us. 2 Corinthians 4.18, how should we look like Christ? While we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
We look like Christ when we focus on the eternal, on the not seen things, when we look out for the interest of others, when we look at each other's speck in the eye after we've addressed and looked at our own plank in our own eyes. That will create such an awesome atmosphere of love. Really quick, try to do it in 40 seconds. In the Old Testament, when God told the nation of Israel to be circumcised, you had all these adult men who had not been circumcised. They were supposed to be circumcised. Well, who's going to do all this circumcising? And they end up circumcising each other. And a circumcision is a removal of the flesh, a part of the flesh. And it's symbolic of the removal of sin from our lives. And so here you have the nation of Israel, these adult men, you could, if you could just imagine Moses saying, okay, pick a buddy. Women, take a break. Guys, pick a buddy and grab a really sharp stone. Like, what for? And then think about it. You have two adult men that are going to circumcise each other, not at the same time. One goes first. So the person that's going to remove the flesh from the other person very sensitively, how do you think he's going to do it? Knowing that as soon as he's done, that person whom he circumcised is going to circumcise him. Oh, you better believe I'll be very apologetic. I'm sorry, man. Oh, oh sorry. Here we go. Trying to be very careful here. I mean, think about that. And I think that's actually kind of like the way we're supposed to address each other's sin. I am going to address your sin. I am going to hold you accountable. But out of love and consideration, knowing that you're going to do the same thing to me. We have to. If we don't do that, then we become a hypocritical group of people that will say things like, Hey, I won't tell you anything as long as you don't tell me anything. Because you know, we all have stuff going on. So why don't we just pretend we're all perfect and don't address any of the issues? I don't want to live like that. I wouldn't want to go to a church like that. I want to go to a church where we're honest, that we're all broken, we, have, we all have issues, and we love one another, and it is our duty as family, as brothers and sisters, for the glory of God, to address each other's needs, deficiencies, and sin. But we do it in love and consideration. All right. Um, point number three, living Christ-like lives means loving like Christ, looking like Christ, and being under the lordship of Christ. That's, that covers verses 46 through 49 that we read earlier. Chapter 6, verse 46, our Lord Jesus Christ says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things which I say? He's basically saying, don't call me Lord if you're not going to do the things that I say. Because if you don't do the things that I say, I'm obviously not your Lord. Romans 1.1 says that Paul says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. The apostle Paul did amazing things by the power of God but because he submitted to the lordship of Christ. And he would introduce himself and say, this is Paul, a bond servant 
a slave of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul again says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. What did he do? He preached the lordship of Christ. Christ is Lord. Yes, he's our Savior, but he must be your Lord. Oh, he's my Savior, but I do whatever I want. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. You don't belong to him. You're not his possession. And if we're not living lives that are characterized by obedience, then by default, we are not. He is not our Lord. We don't belong to him. Obedience to Christ is not optional. It is the evidence that we are indeed born again. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord is what we preach. And ourselves, he says, your bond servants. You know who we are in relation to one another? Yeah, we're brothers and sisters, but we're also one another's bond servants if, the, if Christ is our Lord. And isn't that amazing then? That's why when people come up to you and say, Mike, you know what? I want to serve. What can I do? Oh. What would you like to do? Anything. Hmm. Very cool. Nobody has yet come up to me and said, like, I am your bond servant. You tell me, oh. And I don't expect you to, or, you know. Or I am Crosspoint's bond servant. That's, that I actually, it would be the proper attitude to have. So whenever I see people with that attitude, like, I want to serve, I want to do, tell me what, is there a need in the church? Can I, can I do this? I'm like, yes. And by God's grace, I can sincerely say that I think our church is moving in that direction. You know, people wanting to help. Hey, we need help here. Boom. We have plenty of help. We still need more help. There's plenty to do. All kinds of things to do. Never should anybody feel as you come to Crosspoint, that there's nothing for you to do. That is a lie. Even with the things that we are doing now as Crosspoint, we need more help, and there's still a ton of things that we as a church can and should be doing for which we would need even more help. So I'm excited about that. But it's all going to happen. What a difference between me standing up here and saying, like, don't forget, as I told you the last 10 weeks in a row, we need helpers, more helpers. And, and maybe throwing in some manipulation and, and you know, don't you want to, I don't want to do any of that. I want to preach Christ as Lord and expect God to work in our lives. And people come up to me and the elders and the deacons and say, how can I help? That's the fruit that I'm looking for in our congregation. How can I help? Does the setup team need more help? Does the AV team need more help? Does the food ministry need more help? Can I be more involved in, in uh, anywhere else with, our, with the ministries that we collaborate with? Can I sign up? Uh, if you saw the, if you saw the uh, I'll end it here. If you saw with this great, very practical application, if you saw the newsletter, My Safe Harbor is a ministry that we support and collaborate with. We sometimes get opportunities to go and serve and help. Well, in their fundraising efforts, they're going to have a fireworks stand in Anaheim. And they need people to man the stand. How easy is that? You could actually just scan 
somewhere in, our, in, in the uh, Crosspoint newsletter. You can get a group of four or six people, and you get to just hang out and take care of the fireworks stand, even at night. So if somebody wants to do a little, uh, what do you call that, tailgating? Let's get four, five, six guys or whatever and, and, and go over there and hang out in the parking lot while it's closed, but we got to make sure nobody steals anything. And that would be a help to them. We would be supporting them as they, they raise their funds. Sign up. You can't say like, oh, I don't know how to do that. You don't know how to stand around? I don't believe it. You don't know how to sit around and drink a soda? So I'm saying there's work for everybody, but you have to do it. Because then the enemy comes around and says, like, yeah, you should do it. Nah. Then you have to get up the next day and remember. and You got to to be careful. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I say? We need to learn to love like Christ, look like Christ, and be under the lordship of Christ for the honor and glory of God. May the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful morning and this time to spend it in your word. We pray for forgiveness for our sins and our trespasses, our lack of obedience. We are reminded of the Lord's teaching, and we realize that we fall short. But we don't want to stay there, Father. We know that, as Paul says, that he can do all things through Christ that strengthens him. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to be obedient to your word, to be doers of your word as we call you Lord. I thank you. I pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.